again, folks, and welcome back. It's your friendly neighbourhood, Nick Hammond here. I hope you are all keeping well. Seems like a while since we last spoke, but what I can tell you is season two of Around the World in 80 Cigars is on its way. As well as everything else going on in the background, I am beavering away, getting new guests for you to uh, listen to, new ideas and some great chat. So don't miss out. Uh, keep yourselves glued to the page because they are coming soon. Um, I wanted to have a catch up with you anyway to see how you're doing and let you know that I'm still around and haven't disappeared and still battling away on your behalf to try and keep you entertained during these difficult times. And hey, we went through lockdown one and gave birth to this pod. So why not do the same and uh, and, and launch season two during lockdown two? I've put together uh, a little uh, a little highlights package for you of season one. We might even do uh, do a few of those to keep you going whilst uh, while season two is in production. But before we get on to that, I have a few bits of news and a few bits of housekeeping to let you know about. Firstly, and most importantly, uh, Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast is now powered by Bovida. It is also brought to you in conjunction with Souter Cigars. So that's good news to have you guys on board. Thank you for your support. As you all know, this sort of thing doesn't come easy and it doesn't come cheap. Um, and it's a huge amount of time, money and investment from my behalf. So it's wonderful that people have responded so well to season one. And we have just a little bit of sponsorship. That does not mean we do not need more. Please get in touch if you'd like to be involved. Uh, I can tell you that at the time of talking, we are well over 10,000 listeners in something like 53 countries around the world. Absolutely incredible. I never thought it would happen quite that way, but we seem to have touched a bit of a nerve, as it were. Uh, lots of nice comments from you, so thank you for that. And um, I'm so glad that we're keeping you occupied. So we finished our, uh, our last episode uh, in early September of season one. That was with Mitchell Orchard of Seagars Limited. Um, and what's been happening since? Well, a hell of a lot, really, on both all national and international fronts and, uh, and a personal one, too. Um, so we have, uh, well, more COVID nonsense, of course, that carries on. But um, I've been involved uh, very quietly whilst season one was going on in putting together a collaboration with the uh, luxury label Leggett's and uh, and that's come to fruition in recent uh, recent times, which is great because I can talk to you about it at long last. Leggett's are a sister company of Rutherford's who make the most incredible um, luxury goods, bags, etuis, portfolios with uh, uh, using traditional English bridal leather techniques. Now, they have a wonderful little uh, workshop up on Lord Cholmley's estate in Cheshire. And it was while I was up there with them working on some products that we have and some ideas in fact, I should probably backtrack a bit and tell you that uh, at the launch of my book last autumn uh, in Mayfair, I met the directors of Rutherford's and we got on well and, um, uh, and we kept in touch. And it was a complete surprise to me when they asked uh, to meet me when I was in London and we caught up and they told me that they had an idea and they wanted to run it past me. And they asked me if I would be interested 
in a collaboration with Leggett's, their relatively more recent offshoot company. Uh, And of course, the answer was a cautious yes. We went on to talk about what sort of thing they were talking about. Uh, And it all was based on their love of Around the World and 80 Cigars, the book. They loved the style. They loved the look. They loved the feel. They liked the way I wrote and they liked the things that I did. And it very much seemed to dovetail with what Leggett's was trying to offer uh, a, a sort of luxury travel, inquisitive nature, beautifully made, sustainably sourced products uh, for those that love travel and cigars and out, uh, field sports, shooting, fishing, etc., etc. So that's how the uh, Leggett's X Nick Hammond collection was born. Um, I was immensely flattered, of course. Uh, I didn't think that anyone would be particularly interested in anything that had my name on it. But hey, uh, I was assured by them that people would be. So that's where we kicked off. Let's go back to the gin. I was at uh, at the workshops in Cheshire, chatting to the guys at Leggett's, uh, and I happened to venture into a nearby gin distillery. Really for a look around and, and, and say hello and just a change of scenery. And over a discussion with the uh, head distiller, I mentioned that no one had ever made, to my knowledge, a specific gin cigar. And I further opined that I didn't think gin went particularly well with cigars. Well, do you know what? We looked at each other, grinned, and an idea was born. And from that idea, now on the shelves of uh, several select stores around the country is the Leggett's X Nick Hammond Oriental Cigar Gin. It was personally conceived, blended and created by me, remarkably. Now, you may ask, who the hell am I to blend a gin? Well, it's a question I ask myself. However, one thing I will say, with it, uh, which I hope I can get away with with a degree of modesty, is that I do have a half-decent palate. And... More honestly, um, and more easy to say, is I do know what I like, and I know what cigar smokers generally like. And it occurred to me that if I could come up with something that defied the logic that I'd just given that uh, distiller, uh, that gin and cigars don't really go, if I could create something that did, it might be something worth pursuing. So off we went. So all during lockdown one, while I was interviewing folks and bashing out these uh, pods for you at a, at a <laughs> extraordinary rate of one a week, I can't quite believe I, believe I did that for 20 weeks, uh, made a rod for my own back. But uh, while I was doing that, there were little parcels, little sample bottles going backwards and forwards between my little office and the distillery in Cheshire. And basically we, uh, we sort of, broke the gin down completely into its component parts and rebuilt it from the ground up. And I spent a lot of time testing theories, testing pairings and testing myself on what worked, what didn't, why did it work? Why did it not work? How could we ameliorate those things that didn't and accentuate those things that did? And, the resulting liquor is, I think I could honestly say, hand on heart, 
something I'm very, very proud of. It's a remarkable spirit. Now, we're going to have, uh, I think, a more in-depth chat around the gin later uh, in the series. We can bring that in and perhaps run a competition or something for you guys to get involved and taste it. But it has now been out long enough and been around enough people who know what they're talking about for me to breathe a big sigh of relief because there was a time when I thought, oh, Lord, you've put your name to this thing. You know, you know nothing about gin. What on earth have you done bringing out a gin as your first named product? But as I say, enough people have drunk it, uh, independent folks that, you know, not just my mother and my <laughs> brothers and my friends, but independent people whose opinion uh, in spirits is highly regarded have drunk it. And their opinion is pretty unanimous. The international uh, independent drink specialist did me a huge favour and took it in for uh, their crypto, for their um, constructive review with their panel of uh, industry experts and scored the Oriental Cigar Gin at an incredible 92 points. Now, if I can bring it up on my screen in front of me, I can tell you uh, some of the comments that, that they made. Uh, international drinks specialist. They described the gin thus, discreet nose with some floral and spicy notes rising first. Bold on the palate with distinct sweetness and some sweet spicy tobacco-like notes and a long warming finish. It is extraordinarily complex with a great delivery. It is naturally a great choice with cigars. A must-have for gin aficionados and cigar smokers alike. A worthy silver or more likely a gold medal winner at many big international competitions. <laughs> now, that I was not expecting. So that's a 92-point score, obviously, out of 100. Um, they said you could expect a good gin to get 85. So, you know, that is absolutely thrilling. Um, and the response from the public has been amazing. It's an expensive gin. It's twice as much as your average glug with gin and tonic gin. Um, and... There are a multitude of reasons for that, not least because of the massive amount of time and effort I've put into creating it. But we've gone overboard on the branding. It's a beautiful thing uh, just to look at, let alone drink. But um, and any, and any, it's just amazing with cigars. So that that has gone off the shelves like hotcakes. And I'd like to thank uh, like to thank those retailers who have backed me on that. You know, old friends and people I've known a long time who've taken a punt on the fact that I might just know what I'm talking about. Massive thank you to, uh, of course, to Souter Cigars who uh, jumped straight on board and got a big stock in and were the first guys to have it. Uh, David off of London was straight in with me. Thank you to Eddie and Edward. Uh, bless you. Uh, uh, Robert Graham up in uh, Scotland. Steve Johnston has been behind me and has got, to, got some gin in. Um, and some of the London clubs uh, are also there. It's going to some select stores, so as well as, of course, being sold online by Leggett. So, uh, you know, thank you to those people who have supported this endeavour. As well as a full bottle, we now have Oriental Cigar Gin Minis, which are flying out of the door uh, in time for Christmas, and actually a really nice option to have if you not sure you're going to like it or you don't want to spend a fortune on something you haven't even tasted so the little minis are also available in fact i think we've got a really lovely package on at the moment 
we have uh, something like a mini, a copy of the book, and a cigar, um, all available for £40, www.leggets.com. Lots of interesting things going on, but the gin is out there. I'd love you to try it. Please let me know what you think. Ping me an email, nick at nick-hammond.com. There are more products to come in the Nick Hammond and Leggett's collection. So don't forget to keep checking back with me, checking with Leggett's, follow them and see what you're, uh, see what uh, we're going to bring out soon. And there's some really interesting things going on. I can tell you that much. What else do I have to tell you? Well, I can tell you that I am beavering away on the sequel to Around the World in 80 Cigars, the book. Uh, it is in production. So uh, hopefully more of the more of the same and um, some more stories, some more laughs and another chance for us to share a few tales. Uh, no publication date as yet, but be aware that I'm working on it. In fact, if there's any companies, countries or anybody out there listening that wants to be involved in Around the World, the 80 Cigars, the sequel, then now's the time to yell. Although, obviously, at this very day, uh, second, I can't travel around the world or not very far, but uh, but I am definitely looking for new material and in the new year we'll be out and about with God's grace. So uh, please get in touch. Let me know your thoughts, where I should go, who I should visit, who should be involved. I must mention uh, one of my sponsors again, Salta, because during lockdown we have been knocking our pipes out to give you material to take your mind off what's happening in the world and to keep you uh, keep you entertained. So every Tuesday and every Friday at 6pm, Mr Lawrence Davis and I get together and talk rubbish and smoke a cigar. Um, and to our astonishment it's exceptionally popular we do that uh, tuesday and friday at 6 p.m on instagram live uh, you just have to log on at 6 p.m click on the south logo and suddenly our ugly mugs will appear um, and it's hilarious to be honest we have uh, folks from all over the world to join us some regular regular punters come and pitch up and, and put in an appearance we have people from australia from america from middle east far east um and everywhere in between, frankly. And uh, I think we're attracting at the last count something like 1,000 plus people on those evenings tuning in. Uh, on a Friday, there's a quiz, which is usually written by my good self with a great deal of grumbling because I've written millions of them and it's getting harder and harder. We do a little quiz for those that are uh, uh, watching to take part in, which again is quite good fun. And uh, Lawrence, who is, of course, the owner of Souter is incredibly generous and has handed out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cigars as prizes for the quiz. So if, if for no other reason than you want to try and get a, a free cigar, you would be remiss not to log on and, uh, and to join us on a Friday. Not happy or content with that, we have also been uh, crashing through the uh, Souter YouTube videos starring... Uh, Mr. Davis and I, and again, these are attracting, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say hundreds of thousands of views um, across the dozens and dozens of, of films that we've done. Um, massively popular. People have been very kind enough to write uh, in, uh, comments along the lines that thank you during this difficult time. It's you're prefer, you know, providing a service. 
which is nice to hear. So if for those the uh, for the uninitiated, Lawrence and I sit over a table and we smoke cigars. Now, he's a massive Cuban cigar smoker, so we smoke a lot of Cuban cigars, uh, his recommendations and mine. But we have, I have finally, uh, you know, managed to turn him on to at least trying some New World sticks. So that's quite funny to watch. We've been tasting those. Um, and we have a good chat. Sometimes we have a really long chat and we talk about everything and anything. It's not just cigar related. It's uh, it's two pals having a chat over a smoke. So uh, catch those. Uh, as I say, the Souter channel, S-A-U-T-T-E-R, Souter channel on YouTube. Okay, it remains for me to tell you that uh, your support is much appreciated. Please review, like, let people know, drop me a line. Feedback is essential. Uh, And don't forget to support your local store. That is of massive importance. Uh, And it applies equally to um, buying a pound of apples or onions as it does to cigars. Shop locally. We cannot survive if everybody buys everything they need from Amazon. The world will be a crap place. And I have nothing against Amazon. Um, I use it a lot. But shop locally. Visit your local stores. These are people who stick their necks out to launch businesses. And I know how that feels. Um, And we rely on support and feedback and goodwill, basically. So uh, with that in mind, support your local stores, bricks and mortar. And support me, please, because I put a massive amount of effort into these things. Uh, I don't do it for my entertainment. I do it for yours. I hope you like it. Let me know if you do. If you don't, perhaps go elsewhere. (laughs) I don't need a load of grief. Um, I don't expect everyone to like what I do. That's fine. Uh, Simply uh, switch over, switch off um, and do something else is my advice. Okay. It remains also for me to say that uh, we have raised well in excess of £2,000 for the Faith e. Alegria, Faith and Happiness Charity in Nicaragua, which if uh, regular listeners, readers and viewers will recall, is the charity uh, that I uh, decided to support when I first wrote the manuscript of Around the World in 80 Cigars, the book. Of course, the book's still available, although we are getting to a stage where it's going to be out of print and um, we need to reconsider print, new print runs and things. So if you would like a book for you or a loved one, then uh, please log on to www.nick-hammond.com where you can purchase one. And if you drop me a line uh, and you'd like a book dedicated to yourself or a friend, I'd be very happy to do it for you. I think that's enough from me for now. Um, I hope you are all well, as I said at the start, and I hope you're glad to hear my voice once more. Uh, here's a little recap from se- se- uh, series one, season one, rather. Uh, some of the voices we caught up with, you know, there were people like uh, the amazing Jay Emery, um, who made makes uh, Bushman ovens, the outdoor wood burning ovens. Had a long chat to Jay about his life in South Africa, growing up amongst the elephants and lions and stuff, and coming here and being a magician and a ski instructor and all sorts. Remarkable chat. And actually, of course, I shouldn't really mention the whole concept of the pod is a sort of mirror, mirroring of the book in that it's about travels, it's about amazing people, it's about interesting people and interesting things. We had people like Magali de la Cruz with her incredible accent. 
the lovely Mags from Cuba, um, Richard Patterson, the amazing whiskey guru, the, the nose. He told us all about uh, where that term comes from and a question no one had ever asked him before, astoundingly to me, was where did you get your nickname? Um, AJ Patel was one of our guests. Uh, he owns uh, number six Cavendish Street and a La Casa del Habano in Teddington. And a really interesting story about how he came to England from Uganda back in the day, um, fleeing from Idi Amin, and how he enjoyed a chat and some stage time with Fidel Castro and Compe Segundo. <laughs> really good conversation, worth a listen to. Um, Robert Pooley, my old friend Mr Pooley of Pooley Sword, uh, 84 years old and still tearing about the uh, tearing about the world. Uh, who else do we have? Henry Chamberlain of the um, Coastal Exploration Company. Lovely man, Henry. Um, and he spoke to me from lockdown in Kabul, bless him. Uh, he is now home, thankfully. You'd be pleased to know. But then he wasn't. He was stuck in a compound in Kabul because he's a UN peacekeeper. Um, and he was out there telling me, A, about his business, this, uh, the, the uh, exploration company in Norfolk, which is just amazing takes you out on boats on and around the Norfolk coast, but also about his experience of negotiating with the Taliban and incredible things that me and, uh, and being a Marine, by the way, and uh, things that me and mortal was like, uh, certainly like me, um, wouldn't possibly dream of doing. So these are the sort of people and the guests we have. Stephen Hitchcock, Savile Row Taylor, made coats and dinner jackets for his Royal Highness Prince of Wales. Um, Interesting, unusual people and places, I guess is how you describe it, with a good old smattering of lovely cigars in there as well. So let's have a little listen to a few of these things um, from uh, season one. We might do one or two more of these just to keep you occupied while I fill up the diary. But as I say, rest assured, season two is coming. Can't wait to chat to you again. Stay well, everyone, and look after each other. your appetite i'd first like to remind you of a pod episode i did with the wonderful patrick mavros of zimbabwe he was in lockdown on his ranch but we caught up with each other and here he tells a story of a certain aging american rock star who popped in for lunch sitting having breakfast on our veranda overlooking our african valley Beautiful view, and the telephone goes. The telephone's next to the breakfast table. I pick it up, and it's the organizer of the show, Gavin. Right. Yeah, he says, uh, Patrick said, listen, uh, he said, I've got uh, um, Mr. Bruce Springsteen uh, here with his, uh, in those days, partner to become his wife, Patty Schiaffler, and and he hasn't seen any animals in Africa, and you've got your I have a game reserve there, and we're just wondering if he can come out and look at an elephant and a giraffe, and, uh, et cetera. So I said, with pleasure. But can he come today? I said, with pleasure. <laughs> when do you want to come? He says, uh, between one and two. I said, hang on, that, that's lunchtime. Uh, hold on a second. Katja, uh, I say to my wife, darling, can we have a Bruce and 
fiance and a couple of his mates for lunch because they want to go on a safari ride. She said, sure. Uh, I said, so an American, two American couples are tuned into the conversation. <laughs> and they're looking and their jaws are getting closer and closer to the ground. I said, ask him if he wants to come for lunch and then we'll go for uh, a safari walk. And he turns around and he says, Bruce, Patrick Mavros wants to know if you want to come for lunch. Well, i got to tell you. I, <laughs> he said, yes, please. My goodness gracious. When I said to my wife, they're coming for lunch, both American couples said, oh, yeah, sure. Bruce Springsteen's <laughs> coming for lunch. <laughs> yeah, of course anyway, he, he arrives. He arrives, gets out of the minibus. He's not very tall. And he says, uh, how you doing? Are you Patrick? I said, yes. <laughs> nice to meet you, Bruce. Patrick. And I wanted to, this is Patty. Patty Scaffler. So I said, nice to meet you, Patty. Welcome to our home. And we went through and sat on the veranda and had a bit of lunch. Then we headed off on our safari. All right. And Bruce had two big bodyguards. I'll never forget. One was in the Bay of Pigs invasion. Don't ask me why I got a memory for that. But I right, never really. Bay of Pigs. It was a monster. We go down, and my introduction is going to be to show Bruce some zebras, impalas, giraffes, and then go to the elephant. Yeah. And we got to cross a river first, okay? So I said, Bruce, we're going to cross the river over here. I'll go first across these stepping stones, and then you come behind me, and then Big John can walk behind you. So we, we get halfway across the river, and Bruce says to me, Hey, Patrick. <laughs> yes, Bruce. What lives in the river? I said, we got uh, otters and we got pythons. <laughs> Python? Python? That's a bloody snake, right? I said, yeah. He said, oh! Gee, he just leapt in a big John's arms. He says, Patrick, the safari is over. <laughs> okay, so that was it. <laughs> So, that was it. The that was, was Bruce over. Springsteen Safari. And that was Bruce. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, such anyway, a great story. So. Such a great story. <laughs> I love that story. It's a snake. Brilliant. Must uh, must listen to that pod when you get the chance. Uh, we also spoke to uh, the octogenarian. You're not easy to say that. Mr. Robert Pooley, a remarkable chap who's had a remarkable life. And I talk about only a fraction of it to him in our episode. He is the owner of Pooley Sword, and is, that's a company that makes and distributes ceremonial swords to the military in, in the Commonwealth. He's a really fascinating chap, lovely bloke to catch up with and have a dinner uh, uh, with. You find yourself laughing yourself silly. Um here he is talking about how, when he could, he was jet-setting around the world like he was 20 years old. Tell me, I mean, I know that you've, um, until obviously we haven't, you haven't been able to, you were regularly jetting off to New Zealand or to, is it Bermuda you go to? Uh, no, but what a lovely, nice dream. <laughs> we have sort of one sword into Bermuda and there is one uh, Bermuda man in um and uh, Sandhurst at the moment. Uh, we really need to go and see him, Robert. We need to go and do some research. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I've got enough problem with the rat. But we, we around the smaller um, uh, countries, and not so small, when you look at Botswana, uh, yeah. only last year we sold 100 uh, swords to Botswana. Terrific. Oh, I saw one of my... Um... One of my bucket wishes, that is, is to get out to Botswana and get in one of those Morocco canoes and go off down the tributaries. Oh, of is it really? Yeah. I, I've had some uh, lovely um, uh, officers from the Botswana army meet me here. Um, Fabulous. See what we do. It would be lovely to uh, give you their card and say that you're on your way. Um, <laughs> and would like to talk elephants. To yeah, can you imagine? What fun. Um, yeah. Of all the places you've been and you go to, is there one that you're particularly fond of as a, as a place to visit and, and a place to go? Oh, uh, well, um, sorry, Australia, New Zealand and the rest of the... Sorry, Australia and Canada and the rest of the world. I, I rather like New Zealand, mm. uh, mainly because it's smaller and... Uh, it's got everything there, uh, mountains, lakes, um, rivers, railways, <laughs> everything. Yeah, you everything. like a train journey, don't you? Lovely country. So, so British. So very, very British. Is it? That's interesting. Yeah. And, you, and, and if I recall, you do enjoy a train journey, don't you? Oh, yes, absolutely. I've done round the world by train. Yeah, I love trains. Um, yeah, uh, I, it would be interesting. Last last year, last February of last year, I went to uh, New Zealand, um, straight to Auckland, and then to uh, the South Island. Did a two day talk. Um, sorry, did it stayed there for two days. One. You probably could talk for two days. To sleep and have a, a sword out to the second day to do my talk to the Army, Navy and Air Force. And that's why I went there, because all the cadets from all three services were there. Did my talk. Um, had my birthday that evening at midnight, and they oh, gave me really? a, a little tiny birthday cake with a candle, which I couldn't blow out, on the aircraft at 8.30, straight to Auckland, um, met uh, a friend at Auckland, up to um, the museum at Auckland, where I had an apprentice doing a sabbatical, um, met her, um, uh, had a tour of the museum um, to the um, airport of Manhattan to see... Um, the mosquito and the two people involved in building the mosquitoes, absolutely marvelous. Back on the aircraft, landed at um, uh, in Canada, uh, oh, went to see the um, uh, Seaforth Highlanders and a kilt maker. Um, there was a six-hour six hour stop, which was super. Uh, back on the aircraft, and I think that I was probably over uh, Toronto for the time my birthday had finished. 
because of the time difference. <laughs> that sounds perfect for you, living your life absolutely, absolutely to the floor. Extraordinary. So uh, uh, two, um, two days in New Zealand, um, a few hours in, um, in Canada, uh, and I was back. Well, which birthday was that, Robert? Oh, that was my 85th. Good yeah, Lord. Good Lord above. Yeah, lovely. No, it was an 84th. Christ, I was so young then. <laughs> Talking of lovely people, this chap spoke to me live from the capital of Esteli, Managua. He is uh, Mr. Juan Martinez of the Hoya de Nicaragua factory. One of the nicest chaps I've ever met, and he's a good pal of mine. And we worked very closely together on the book Cinco de Cardas, The Rise of the Nicaraguan Cigar, a few years back now. And I spent some time over there with him, traveling around and learning about that fascinating and beautiful country. Um, have a listen to Juan. You might be able to hear some tropical birds in the background of his lovely garden in Managua. And it warmed me up on, the, on what was a particularly cold, chilly day when I spoke to him. So the factory operated uh, with difficulties and challenges, operated under a communist regime, so operated by the state during the 1980s. And then in the 1990s, after the peace came to Nicaragua, a, a democratic elections were held. The factory was privatized back to the hands of, 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 of their owners. That's when my family, my father in particular, gets involved in, in 1994 acquiring the company although he was involved with them a little bit earlier than that. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is, I would say, the second genesis of the Nicaraguan cigar industry because by 1994, you see uh, people coming back to Nicaragua, growing tobacco again in Nicaragua, using the, the, the soil and, and the expertise. Um, and by 1996, we went, which was the peak of the cigar boom, uh, we have more than 60 cigar factories established in Nicaragua. Um, and many well-known brands today started in that period, like Rocky Patel, Drew Estate, Oliva, eh, Perdomo, are some of the names that actually began uh, in Esteli during the mid-1990s as a result of the cigar boom. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the cigar boom ended in 1998, and we went from having more than 60 factories in 1996 to having less than 20 of those by the end of the 1900s, by the end of 1999, um, due to the to this specific crisis and due to the hurricane that I also mentioned happened in 1998. So by the 2000s, uh, you know, the industry was in a very slow mode, uh, reduced scale capacity, uh, but eventually we started working again and. Uh, I think by 2008, 2007, 2008, we have a pickup, another pickup of new companies establishing themselves in Nicaragua. I would call it the third wave of, 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 of growth of the Nicaraguan industry. So you have well-known factories like uh, My Father's Cigars um, and many others establishing themselves in the late 2007, 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And that's when the, the popularity of Nicaraguan cigars really, really picks up. So we went from doubling our production between 2009 and 2017. And today, Nicaraguan cigars are considered the best cigars in the world. I think 
Uh, last year in 2019, it was between 18 to 19 of the top 25 cigars considered the best cigars in the world were made in Nicaragua and contain Nicaraguan tobacco. So I think we've come a long way over the past more than 50 years uh, from a small factory founded by a couple of uh, Cuban immigrants to becoming the, the, the epicenter of cigar making in the world. Absolutely. And it's an extraordinary story. And when you see, you know, I, I, if I think about, about the factory, I think about coming up the stairs and going into the Galleria and seeing, you know, Aristo's beaming smile and, uh, and then maybe Panchita at the back. And, um, and these are people that have worked for you, you know, for decades and decades and decades. And it's not, it's not a normal, it's not like a normal place of work, is it? No, it's not. It's a uh, for many people there. For many of us, it's like uh, more than a second home. Uh, for people who have spent more than fifty years working there, going into the place day in and day out, uh, people whose families work there or or have worked there or have a family heritage, uh, this space, this environment is is it's it's way beyond. Uh, in workplace and 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 moments like this show you that people do care for 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 not only for the company itself but for the people in that company so people are doing a lot of taking care of their colleagues their their co-workers uh, to taking care of themselves to make sure that people continue to have that safe space that security uh, that that the factory provides them it's, it's a magical place not only because it's almost like a museum in the sense of, of being in very old building uh, uh, and having a lot of history to its parts, uh, some positive, some dramatic history. Uh, so people, in a way, feel feel the pleasure of, of working there, and they understand very clearly that what they do with their hands, day in day out, uh, goes and travels around the world is basically enjoyed by smokers around the world. We actually have a, a big painting in the in the in the, in the galleria that you mentioned that says that. Um, in that room, we capture the flavor of our land, but also that with our hands, we take the name of Nicaragua around the world. Because even though these people are locals in Esteli, Estelianos, they, their work that they do is being enjoyed in more than close to 70 countries around the world, in almost every continent in the world. People may not know where Nicaragua is, but they may know Nicaraguan cigars, and they may enjoy or have enjoyed Nicaraguan cigars. Next up, we have a cheeky chappy, Mr. Stephen Hitchcock. He's a proper London boy. He always sounds impish, Stephen. He always sounds like there's, you know, he's up to mischief, and he's a he's a top bloke. He's a, a Savile Row tailor, master cutter, one of the very few left that actually cuts their own cloth, gets it made here in England, and not whizzed over by email to China where somebody else puts it together and sends it over here. Um, really interesting chap, and, and uh, during this little snippet, he tells us about the time he popped into St James's Palace to measure up His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. When I first started on my own in 1999, uh, yeah, I was at Old, old Burlington Street, right, and uh, this is at the back of Savile Row. Yeah, I um, went down to the palace, actually. I'll tell you the story. I went down to the palace, and I put a letter over to the policeman there. No. Um, yeah, on the gate. Well, the thing was, I saw um, in the magazine a couple of 
I don't know, two weeks before then, there was a like a Sunday supplement. And because um, I was in quite a few magazines then, now we, we don't do any of that. But um, right. so I was always looking in the magazines for what's going on. And I, there was a picture of His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. Um, and it was a big piece, and he doesn't like anything like this, you know. And it was a picture of him in a suit, and it had, um, had him wearing a shirt, tie, shoes, and everything had an arrow to it. And it was a, a mate, a measure company that was making for him at the time. And, um, you know, I wrote a letter saying to him that he should really have a bespoke suit. Cause that's what I thought, because he's, you know, future king and, and yeah. whatnot. So, um, and obviously my father made for him from the 80s. But there was, there was there was a period of time when um, they lost the world warrant, I think, and um, and uh, he went to someone else. Anyway, so I wrote, I took this letter down to the palace, to James's, and gave it to the police. We're saying, you know, yeah, my name's Stephen Hitchcock, and I'd like to make the prince a suit, and you know, we can make one bespoke suit, and really, he should be wearing bespoke suits. And, and did the police look at you like you're mad? Yes. Yeah, no, he took it. He took it, and he he just threw it on the on the corner, and I thought, but he looked at me, <laughs> no, I, I, I passed that on, and he just threw it down, and I thought. Oh, well, that's not going anywhere. And then, um, as I say, like that was like on a Friday. On the, what well, a week later, I got a phone call from his valet, yeah, saying, saying, yeah, saying he'd like you to come along. And um, his royal highness would like you to come along. Um, can you come along at eight thirty in the morning on the next Tuesday? I think mean, I went, yeah, of course I can. So, um, yeah, so I went along. This is um, James's palace. Yeah, I mean, right. he's, moved, he's moved now. He's moved to um, Clarence House, hasn't he? Yes. His mother's, grandmother's, but um, it's only across the road. Um, so, yeah, I went to St James's uh, Palace and um, what did I make him? I think the first the first thing I made him was a dinner suit. Well, did you could tell us about <laughs> that? You must have been wondering what on earth you were going to go through. Did you sort of have to go through security and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the security is, yeah, hot. So um, yeah. yeah, no, you have to go. You have to go into a little room, and then they have to check you out. But you have to have actually. Um, I was actually helping at a scout camp at the time, and we had to have um, a check there. I can't uh, remember what's called now. You know, if you're a school teacher or something, um, yes, to get the checks. I can't remember what's called now. But yeah, check. Yeah, that's it. I had one of those, but I already had it because I was a, I was helping out the scout, so I already had this um, this this certificate thing. And uh, so when the police were checking me out, they, they it was already there. So they said, right. that's okay, you've got that, you've passed that. And I suppose they must check you for bits and pieces, make sure you ain't got, you know, a gun on you or something. But um, yeah, they yeah. check you down and then um, then the valley comes across. And I've met, oh no, I've never met the valley before, ever. no, no. So um, he come over and said, um, oh, come, come, come through. And then, um, yeah, then he took me through the back door sort of thing and we went, I sat down, there was a big table. It was like um, Downton Abbey. Really? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, like um, a bell that, you know, yeah, when, prince, yeah. when he wakes up, he rings, he, he presses it or rings something and it comes downstairs and it, it rings this bell. Yeah. So uh, the valley was like, um, well, sit down and um, and there was a cook there and um, and security and and they were going to take him out somewhere. So they had um, his security in his car waiting. But um, they said, oh, when he rings the bell, um, You've got to be ready and um, uh, have a cup, you know, do you want a cup of tea? And I said, oh, I'll have a cup of tea. I think I'll have a bit of toast or something. And then the bill went and he went, well, on your feet. And, and then he went, he said, I'll um, wait at the bottom of the stairs. I'll go up and then um, I'll call for you. So uh, so that's what he did. And I went up there and 
I think that's what happened. Anyway, I can't quite remember his name, but I'm sure that's what happened. I don't know one of them we had to sit down and say, but we went up and then he must have gave me this cloth. That's right, yeah, he gave me the cloth. No, he didn't give me the cloth. No, he gave me, he had a suit that my dad had made or Mr. Harvey had made. Uh, and it was double eight ten Smith's, double eight ten uh, Balathea uh, dinner suiting. And he said that he wants exactly the same as this. And um, can you do it? And I went, yeah, I can get that. I, I know the cloth, I can get it. And um, and then I had to measure the prints, but the prints, um, I measured them in the bedroom and it was black, it was dark, you know, it was in the castle, you know, and um, you had no lights on. And so I was measuring him and um, yeah, I don't know what, what was going on. But it Did was he so say surreal. much to you or not really? Um, a little bit, I can't really remember. I remember um, the valet saying to me, you know, don't shake, you know, don't put your hand out when you, you know, if he wants to shake your right. hand. He will do. Yeah. And when you walk in, you, you bow and you say, good morning, your Royal Highness. And then you call him, sir. And then when yep. you leave, thank you, Royal Highness. And that was it. So I just did that. Right. And, um, yeah, I just remember, you know, we had you know, bits and pieces everywhere in in this room. And it was all dark. And I couldn't really see much. And then <laughs> measured him. And I couldn't believe it. You know, when you, you know, not starstruck, but when you see him, you, you just couldn't believe it. No. It standing in front of you because... You know, when you're working for yourself, not at the minute, it's obviously gone very quiet, but when we was when you first started working for yourself, it's every ten minutes you're you know, doing something else. So you're rushing around everywhere and then all of a sudden bang, you're standing like a foot away from the future king of England. Unbelievable. So uh, yeah, really, really good. So I made him this dinner suit. So I went back a few times and fitted it and everything, and um he was really pleased with it. He was so pleased. He, he said to me, I don't know how you got it so close to Colin Harvey, because he, you know, Mr. Harvey used to cut all his stuff. How did you get feedback from him? Did you hear from the valet or? Well, no, I, I went back there a few times. Right. And, well, the funny thing was when I went back, it happens quite a lot, really. Um, they were older. So I went back with the suit and and then he went, oh, I've been, you know, he wanted two, two other suits. And then, so I must have gone back a few times to fit the other two. And then... Was the Vicuna overcoat? He had yeah. the. Um, he was given a present of this Vicuna. And, and explain, to, explain to people what Vicuna is, Stephen. Well, it's one of the finest cloths available. Um, it's basically a llama that lives in very high hills, right up the top of the mountain. It, it can only survive in the, um, you know, the air up there. It's got to be just right. Yeah. And in the old days, in them sort of days when. Um, Maybe when the prince gave me that cloth, or just maybe just before that, they were um, becoming extinct. You know, so the, the Vicuna was so expensive. I mean, it is expensive now, but I mean, then it was really expensive. Because, because they had to kill the animal then, didn't they? Well, that's right, yeah. They had to, well, all they could get is, well, even now, they could only get the, the, the hair from the chin. Unbelievable. <laughs> the hair from the chinny chin chin. And. Uh, so they used to they used to kill the animal and get the hair from the chin, and um, now they can farm it. They worked out they can farm it. Right. So they farm these animals, comb it off every four years or something, and then um, you know the one the the, the 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 cloth that he had was from Dormay, and you know we, we made him one after that as well a few years ago now. So we made him two in the end, but um, the Dormay uh, Vicuna is is very very good. It's probably the best because it's very long um, strands of wool and um, it, it really is just so luxurious to um, 
to feel and to tab against your skin. And um, this, is, and it, this is the really famous coat that listeners probably will have seen pictures of. It's a yeah, torn brown it. long overcoat, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and he really, yeah. he often wears it out and about. He wears it, he wears it not in town, he wears it out of London and he wears it you know, basically every time he goes to church on Christmas Day. But, but um, I mean, as I say, in 2001, I made him a double-breasted and then yep. about yep. two years ago, um, I made him a single-breasted oh, right. uh, overcoat. So he's got two now. He's got a double-breasted and a single-breasted. So he doesn't like throwing things away, does he? So he's he does look oh. after his clothes. I mean, he, he I mean, yeah, he just doesn't. He just repairs and repairs and repairs. So he doesn't, um, you know, buy too many things. But um, did you have to do anything special with the with the pockets? Because we know he's a, a gentleman who likes to put his hands in his pockets. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. You, I didn't know. I mean, I'd like to sew them up because, um, yeah, it does. <laughs> not good, his, good his, not good for the line, is it? No, he, he likes to rest his thick hands on the cross pockets on the outside of the coat. Yeah. Uh, so he's bagging out the, the, the jetted pockets. You know, you don't really want them to be too baggy, especially on the soft cloth by Kuna. But we did, we did put um, some flaps on there, obviously. So the flaps will cover up the bagginess, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, no, he, he, um, he loves it. He, he loves that soft tailoring style. And... Um, yeah, I think he looks good in it. And last, but by no means least, on this little uh, reminder and uh, appetite wetter for the next season of Around the World and 80 Cigars is my old friend Jimmy McGee. Jimmy was the one to kick off our pods back in the spring. And we had a lovely chat about his passion for cigars, my passion for cigars, uh, some nerdy, nitty gritty stuff, and just generally an, always a nice time to spend time with Jim the hours fly by and here you just get a flavour of um, what I mean when he starts talking about when he was first in the industry and working in JJ Fox's and he used to get a little soft brush and brush the cigars every morning. The first impression you get when you walk into a cigar shop is in anywhere really but uh, it's really important that you want to be met with a well uh, a well stocked shelves without them being overstocked yeah and should all be facing the right way up. I mean, I've got a bit of OCD, to be honest with you, Nick. So, it, I mean, in some ways it was great. In other ways, it was a bit of a pain in the ass for some of the people that worked with um, But we had, you know, we had, um, we had standards um, that we all agreed. And one of them was that the cigars had to be brushed. <laughs> I, I don't know if they still do that now. I That's bet they nice. Don't. And then they sort of give a little bit of sheen. and, 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 and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get all the dust off it. We're not talking about bloom or bloom. We're just talking about just generally, just yeah. if you brush anything off the top of it, the oil comes through and you can see the, the reflection from it. You can see that there's that sheen to them. And they just look more appetizing to me. <laughs> and that's what you want. You know, it's like when I take my kids to the cinema, and you take them and you say, right, okay, you can have some pick and mix. And the feeling that they have of looking at that big wall of sweets is what we want people to feel when they come into a cigar shop. That excitement. Yeah. What should I have? Oh, I'm going to have to have some of these and one of those. And oh, that looks good. And, and that can only happen if the cigars are set up to look as good as they can. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like, it's like to the same degree that when, you're looking, when I look in my own humidor and I try to find a cigar to pick for myself, um, you know, you find what one looks nice today. I don't know what it, it means. Yeah. You know, you, there's always a cigar that will catch your eye. And well, what was and that this afternoon? What have you got <laughs> fired up? Well, <laughs> I sound a little bit grand here, actually, Nick. I've, I'm smoking um, a Cohiba Maduro oh. 5 Kenios. Um, but that's oh, because yeah. of 
I think it's because if I didn't smoke it today, it would fall apart. So <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's already looking a little bit unloved, but it tastes great. It tastes great. Cigar, that, yeah. yeah. yeah I've yeah, got no, a little, um, little tiny Upman Corona on the go, which I just think they're fabulous. They are fantastic. Half I think Corona. That's a, um, half Corona. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, I mean, that's, I think that's the last box of cigars I bought. I think I can just about smoke one of those before one of my kids kills the other one or yeah. dance on the dog or something like yeah, that. Exactly. They are, they're, yeah, exactly. They're a proper cigar, but they're only 20 minutes. Which and they're is, tasty. They give you, you know, they give you a good proper cigar experience. And But you're right. You're not like going, for God's sake, you know, I'm halfway through my Edmundo and I've got a. <laughs> Chase the dog down the garden or something. (laughs) There's nothing worse, you know, there's nothing worse. I think choosing the right cigar for the time. I mean, you I mean, we've had this conversation before, Nick, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I just think choosing the right cigar for the moment is not just about the drink and the food and the time of day and all of these things, which of course play a part, but it's making sure that you've got the time to enjoy the thing. Yeah. Because you know, even if you've got all the money in the world, if you don't smoke the whole cigar, you don't get the full story. And it's, um, yeah, you're, you're losing out. You're robbing yourself of, of a, a big part of the enjoyment if you only smoke half of the cigar, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I learned very early that you've got to be comfortable, you know, and I'm not, I don't just mean, you know, sitting in an armchair, but you've got to be at ease, perhaps is a better way of putting it, because... You know, it must have been early days when I went to have a cigar and back then you could have a cigar pretty much anywhere. But I'd sit, you know, maybe at a cafe outside and try to light a cigar and then you get somebody who gives you the evils and suddenly (laughs) that cigar doesn't become enjoyable no matter how good it is, or for me anyway. I couldn't sit there and enjoy a good cigar with people touching and coughing. I mean, it's funny though, isn't it? Can you imagine smoking a cigar in a restaurant now? Oh, unbelievable. In a busy restaurant. I just... I don't think I would, even if I could. It would feel like an imposition on the not other anymore. Uh, not anymore. You couldn't, could you? Uh, but I, I, I mean, when Grace was born, my eldest, she's 15 now, I smoked a Cohiba Robusto in the pub, in the local pub. Well, quite right too. Standing at yeah. the bar. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's strange. And I think, bloody hell, imagine doing that now. You get lynched. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody better than I did. No. Funny. No, absolutely not. There we so, are. Um, we have... We have a lot of lovely places that you can still smoke a cigar now. So I think... If you can get out. When I say now, I think maybe... Take that with a pinch of salt. um, So are you sitting outside your house now? Yeah, I'm sitting outside in my back garden. um, Freezing. Getting slightly bothered by my little dog, one of my little dogs. And um, no, no, it's not too bad. It's it's not great, but it's not too... It's dry. Yeah. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's... uh, half 12 on a on a weekday and i'm having a cigar so very good point you raised Jimmy. Mm. Um, yeah. so if you, you when you said earlier you got uh, some stuff sent over to you does that include can you, you know, can you say look by the way you know i i, I need to reassess the vega rabina unicos so i need to have a couple of sticks and give it how does it work <laughs> Well, I mean, with the cigars, I mean, you've been to our office. We have a yeah. boardroom humidor. Um, we have a walk-in humidor in our boardroom. And what will generally happen is I will, um, if there's something that I want to smoke or something, maybe, for example, you might mention something that you want to try or you will ask me if I think that they're smoking particularly well. Yeah, I'll get a box from my warehouse. I'll pop them in the humidor in the boardroom. And then I'll take a couple of sticks um, to see. Right. Um so one of the 
one of the great things about the job I have is that, um, I mean, you get asked all the time, I'm sure you do too, what's your favorite cigar? And yeah. actually, it's part of my job to smoke across the portfolio yeah. and be aware of what's smoking well and what's maybe um, uh, not so well. Um, and, and so I don't really have a favorite cigar. So yeah, I mean, I, of course, I could, I could ask them to send me some cigars up. I don't think that's the best use of time for the guys <laughs> in the warehouse at the moment. But, no, know, that might raise you know, an I'm, eyebrow, perhaps. I'm, I'm very fortunate in, in. I mean, we work. You've been to the office. You, you know, we, yeah. we, our, our, our office spaces on the first floor and on the ground floor is a, a large, humidified warehouse full of <laughs> floor to ceiling full of cigars. So, um, yeah, whatever we need to smoke, we smoke in order to keep on top of things. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a privilege part of my job. Well, that's it. That's your little reminder for now, just to keep you occupied. There are there is stuff coming, as I as I've promised you, some great guests coming up. Can't give too many, much away, but uh, I think you're going to enjoy season two. Uh, some housekeeping. I'm very pleased to say that season two will be sponsored by Souter Cigars. Thank you to my friends at Souter and to Mr. Davis for his backing. Um, always a pleasure to deal with them. Wonderful company. Great people. And, uh, and good to have them on board. I can also say that uh, we're going to have some Bovida or Bovida uh, information in the pods, uh, which will be interesting. If you've got uh, questions about humidification, about your humidors, about how to age cigars, ping them over to me, nick at nick-hammond.com, and we will get those gurus, geeks and experts at Bovida to answer them for you. And I'd also like to talk to you briefly about a company called Rutherford's who are also sponsoring this season. Rutherford's is a remarkable company based up in Cheshire, uh, a very small number of incredibly skilled people making the most exquisite English bridal leather products you've ever seen. Hand-stitched, beautiful colours, exquisitely made heirloom pieces, really. Um, check them out www.rutherfordsengland.com when I'm able I'm going to get up there we'll do a pod from up there because it's just brilliant to see what they're doing real proper English craft still being done here and again not being shipped from China or Taiwan or somewhere else they sell thousands and thousands of of their amazing uh, music bags to Japan where people clamour to buy this stuff Um, it really is beautiful I I urge you to take a look at that and I look forward to uh, introducing you to Rutherford's Uh, And I thank them for their patronage and for sponsoring season two as well. Uh, So it's good to hear we've got some sponsors on board. Can never have too many. (laughs) As you can imagine, this is a very time-consuming thing. Takes a lot of man hours to put these things together. And not least uh, the contacts book that I flipped through and it's taken me a quarter of a century to negotiate. That's it for now, folks. I hope you enjoyed all that. Looking forward to catching up with you again. Looks like the end of the tunnel might be in sight. Keep your chins up. Most importantly, as I always say, look after each other. See you soon.